If you will, open your Bibles tonight to 1 John. Um, 1 John, we will uh, be in in chapter 2 and then carry over into chapter 3 tonight. We've... uh, um, we're kind of taking a very quick look through this book together. Um, won't be uh, it won't be very in depth. Uh, however, hopefully, it will be worth your time. Uh, Daniel was kidding me a minute ago. Um, the uh, the guys back there in the booth were wondering how many verses are you going to use tonight. You know, I would just wear them out. You know, and I said, "Oh, I, I, there won't be much tonight." And Daniel said, "Well." Why'd I come then? You know, there won't be much tonight, you know. Uh, there, hopefully it'll be worth your time being here tonight. But um, what we're doing, sometimes it's really good to just drill down and really just um, try to, to get every bit of the flavor out of Scripture. Other times it's helpful to just take these, this sort of glance to see kind of a big picture and to see how this thing fits in. So that's what we're doing through First John. If you will, last week we, uh, we, we looked at the marks of false believers. Um, this week we're going to look at challenges to true believers. Challenges to true believers. Uh, we find this beginning in verse 18 of chapter 2. Let's read this together. Children, it is the last hour... And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy Holy One, and you all have knowledge." I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because, because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as, it, as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children. Now and what we will be has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take, take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, we come to this section, and it's a, it was quite a few verses to read together. But he continues in this vein of the true believer versus the false believer. We see them continuing to remind us of the marks of the false believer. But he goes on beyond that, and, and he's speaking, he's writing to these true believers because he wants them to see and be prepared for some particular challenges that they will face. And just because this is um, several hundred years old now, um, doesn't mean it's no longer applicable to us. It's not out of date. We also must be on guard for these same challenges. And so I want to show them to you. There's three here in this text tonight that I just want to bring out. Number one is Antichrist. Now, he specifically says here that there is the Antichrist and then there are many Antichrists, uh, plural. Uh, he says it, there it, it will happen in the last hour. Well, the last hour began uh, really at, at the cross and the resurrection. Uh, specifically, though, more probably in mind is from Pentecost forward, the last hour began. And we're in the last hour. We've been in the last hour, the last days since then. So remember, you know, God's not on our timetable. Uh, a thousand years uh, is as a day. And so we've, we've got to remember that uh, as we look at this. But he says here specifically, you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Uh, one, one verse that I want to show you, to, just to put this in context for one section, is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Um, I'm not going to turn a lot of places tonight, but I will turn over here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because there's, there's always speculation about this. We, we talk about, I was talking this morning in my Sunday school class about this, that uh, um, you can, I could announce that I'm going to do a series and teaching through Revelation and end times, and people would show up in droves because they're just interested. They just want to know. And so you hear things like about the Antichrist and people's ears perk up. However, there's a lot of unclarity on it. I mean, there's just, it's just not real clear. We, we don't know a whole lot. But let me just read this to you, and hopefully it will help some. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. 
Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. What was happening is there was, this, there, were, there was a rumor that the Antichrist had already come. And it was possibly, Paul doesn't here know the source of it, but he's, he's speculating that either someone is claiming that it is a prophetic word that has come, that the Antichrist has already come, or someone has written a letter, an anonymous letter, and has circulated it among this, um, uh, this body, telling them that the Antichrist has already come. And, uh, and it's got them all stirred up. He says, we ask you, brothers, not to be too quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that uh, the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man of lawlessness is revealed. The, the son of destruction, that's a... Uh, another way of saying the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or objects, object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of, uh, of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved." There's coming a day when the Antichrist will come, but it will not come until the one who's restraining him moves out of the way and lets him come. The work of the devil, even the work of the devil, is controlled by our God. And that's good news. We, we take good news, we take great comfort in that. But there is coming a day when this, this Antichrist will set himself up and claim to be God. He is doing the work of Satan. He will have great powers. He will uh, seem to have unrestrained power. He will be able to do miracles and signs. He will look very much like, in a lot of the ways, Jesus looked. Not, not physically, but in what he does. Why? Because the devil always wants to copy the real thing. The devil always wants to copy the real thing, even in uh, him having his own coming. The, there's the coming of the Antichrist. It was the coming of Christ. Uh, there's the signs and wonders. There's uh, also the signs and wonders of Jesus. So the devil copies him in many ways. So back to our text in 1 John. John wants them to understand that they need to be on the lookout because Antichrist is coming. But more than this Antichrist that will come, this, this one man who will come to power uh, to deceive, they need to be aware of the Antichrists, plural, that are around them every day. Now, what are Antichrists with a little a? Well, they're exactly what we talked about this morning. 
Those people who, when it comes to the question, who do you say Jesus is, they say anything but God. They deny that Jesus is Christ. They deny that he is Son of God. They are anti-Christ. But it's important to note that John here points out to them that he's not talking about people in the world. We expect to see this kind of thing on CNN. We expect, or we should, we expect to see this thing, this type of thing from people like Bill Maher and others who are, who are horrendously opposed to Christianity because they are denying Christ. But they're not in the church. They're not saying, I'm a Christian. They're saying not anything to the extent. But what John wants them to see is that even in their midst, they need to be on the lookout because there are false believers who are anti-Christ. They are within the church. Uh, if you, I want you to note there in verse 23, look at verse 23 back in 1 John chapter 2. If you reject the Son, you are also rejecting the Father. So what he says there in verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Which all all those people that say, you know what, we're all on the same road. I mean, Mormons and Muslims and Buddhists and um, Judaism and all that, we're all on the same road. We're all going to the same place. I mean, we, we're taking different routes to get there, but we're going to wind up at the, right, at the same place together. They are wrong. That's an ignorant statement. And there are so-called Christian ministers who will stand with those people and say, you are right. Can't we just all get along? <laughs> yeah, we can get along with them in love, in, in just the love of humanity, that we treat them with kindness. But we cannot get along with them in the sense that we agree with them. Because Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, you know, accept me or not, you know, just believe in God. Jesus says, if you deny the Son, then you also deny the Father. The Father being the ultimate name for God. The only way to God is through Jesus. That's it. That's what John 14, 6 is all about. In the way, the truth, and the life, there is no way to the Father except through me. It's very, very exclusive. And there are those that would say... um, no, 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 that's just intolerant. <laughs> well, take it up with Jesus. You know, that's what i got to say. By the way, all other world religions, every one of them denies the deity of Christ. Every one of them. Um, I think I've told this before, but uh, when we were serving in Pikeville, Kentucky, I, I was a youth pastor there, and we started having these, um, the, the Mormons uh, moved into town, and... Uh, they started coming to our church services, which was great, except for the fact that they wanted to uh, particularly hang out with our teenagers. They were targeting our students, and they, w- they wanted to sit with them, and they wanted to, to go out to eat with them afterwards. And what they were doing is they were pushing their doctrine on our teenagers because they, they had a hunch that our teenagers probably didn't know enough about their faith to be able to stand up against it. So I pulled them aside one night and I had a conversation with them. And I said, look, you're welcome to come here and worship, you, you know, but you're going to worship 
you know, there, there's only one way you worship. You worship through Jesus. But you are not going to solicit and you're not going to harass our, our teenagers. And um, they were very, very cordial and very nice. But because they were so nice, a lot of our people said, well, what, what's the big deal? A lot of particular teenagers said, well, well but they're so nice. Why, why would we want to be mean to them? Why can't we just hang out with them? And so one night we were out uh, doing uh, street interviews and we had taken the video camera out and it was at a, uh, at a town event and we were just asking people, who is Jesus to you? And we would record their response and got all sorts of responses from people and, and the intent was to bring this back together, edit a video and show it on Sunday morning. Well, the teenagers did a great job, sent them all home and then on the way home I've got the camera and I'm thinking, you know what, I need to go see the Mormons. And so I rode over to their house, I knew where they lived, and I took the camera and I knocked on the door. Now that's a switch, because most of the time you're on the inside, and, you know. And so I knocked on the door, and, the, and they opened the door, and they still had their ties on, you know. And it's like, you know, 9.30 at night, I'm thinking, all right, guys, loosen up, you know. And I said, uh, would you mind if I ask you just a few questions? And they said, no, that, that would be fine. I said, can I record it? And they kind of went blank, and they, said, they looked at each other, and they did their little huddle, and, yeah, I guess, I guess that would be okay. So I turned the camera on, and I asked them, I said, who is Jesus? And on camera, these guys said, Jesus is the Son of God, but he is not God himself. We took that back, and in, in my spirit, I'm going, yeah, I got him, you know, <laughs> And I, and I took this thing back, and we, we spliced it all together. We edited this thing together, and we showed it on Sunday morning, not to be judgmental or, or mean to them, but we showed that thing on Sunday morning so that our people, particularly those teenagers, would see what they are saying about Christ. Because what you say about Christ is the key issue. He is God. If you deny the Son, you also deny the Father. And John here wants them to know that you're going to have antichrists all around you trying to convince you that Jesus is not really who you think he is or who you first heard, but you stick to what you first heard. In fact, let me just throw this in here. How do you overcome these antichrists? Well, verse 24 gives us the answer. Verse 24, it says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will have or will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. In essence, what John here tells them is ignore them. Don't listen to their lies. If anyone preaches another gospel to you other than the one that you have already heard, let them be accursed. It is no gospel at all. You take Jesus out of the equation and you are left with nothing. Okay, so he basically says, hang on to the gospel. Don't ever get over the gospel. He uses the word abide. Abide in the gospel, which means to dwell there. Set up camp there. Build your home there. Move in there. Don't ever leave there. Which, boy, doesn't that speak just all up in the face of this 
Once saved, always saved, pray a prayer, never do anything else with it. John here specifically tells them, you abide there. You don't get over the cross. (laughs) You don't get over the gospel. You don't just need the gospel one time. You need the gospel every day. That's where he tells them to live. You live there. Second challenge that real Christians will face, true Christians will face, is this, uh, it's similar, but it is deceivers. It's more than those who are just denying Christ uh, living in the midst, but it's going beyond that to these who are intentionally trying to pull you away from your faith, trying to drag you away. It's what he's talking about in verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. It is a scary thing. It is a sad thing when there are those in a church who are trying to tear it down. There are some that try to deceive. John's warning that and he's telling them, There will be those in your midst who try to deceive you. It's one thing to deny it for yourself. It's another thing to try to bring someone else down with you. How do you overcome these deceivers? Well, 27, he gives us the answer. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you, about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So not only abide in what you first heard, but he says, abide in the anointing. Well, what is the anointing? The anointing is the Holy Spirit. You have no need that anyone should teach you. He's not saying that we should not come together and I, should, I shouldn't get up here and, and teach or that you shouldn't go into classrooms where someone teaches and that we should also just sit around a table and say, well, you know, hey, what do you, what do you think that means? When, when you come into a class and no one is teaching and it's just a, hey, what do you think that means or what does this mean for your life, it is a pooling of ignorance. And it does no good. You know, I've sat through those classes, and I like discussion. I, I, I love discussion. I think there ought to be discussion in classes. But when there is no one, no one explaining, this is what this means, that's dangerous. Extremely, extremely dangerous. And he says, then you abide in the anointing, that there, the Holy Spirit lives in you to confirm or reject what you are hearing. We've all had that, had that happen to us, those who, who are in Christ, who you hear something and there's just something within your spirit that just says, ooh, I, I, I don't know about that. What it ought to cause you to do is it ought to cause you to go into this book and try to find out whether it's true or not. You shouldn't just go on the feeling. You should go to the Word of God and, and either confirm it or, or uh, reject it. But the Spirit exists to, to be your teacher. The Bible talks about how He will lead you into all truth. The anointing there uh, is a picture of what would happen in the Old Testament. Uh, two particular um, 
examples, the, uh, the sons of Aaron, they brought them together and they were to anoint them. They anointed them with oil as a, as a representation of they were set apart by the Spirit of God. When, uh, when David was anointed to be king, he was taken aside and he was anointed um, with oil as being set aside by the Spirit of God. In the same way, uh, you and I are baptized with the Holy Spirit when we are saved and he becomes our teacher. The third one is this. Not only will you face Antichrist, not only will they try to deceive you, but also, he says, we must guard against letting our guard down before he returns. We, a challenge we will face is letting our guard down before he returns. There's coming a day when he will return, but let's be honest in this room. Uh, I, I've been hearing all my life that one of these days Jesus is going to come back. How many of you have spent the most of your life hearing that? Now, has it happened yet? I, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope not, you know. Does it mean that it won't happen? No. Part of worship is hanging on to it. Part of worship is saying, God said he would. Why would I doubt that? We must guard against letting our guard down before he returns. Look at verse 28. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. We've got to continue to look for it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell this. Can I tell this? All right. Um, I try not to tell too many things on my kids, but... Uh, my, my daughter's birthday uh, was this past week, and she had some birthday money. And uh, uh, she was out shopping with her mom, and, and uh, she wanted to spend that money. And uh, Lana said, you know, Abby, you don't have to spend all of this money right now. You can hang on to it, and you can save it, and, and you know, save it for some other day and all this sort of thing. And she said, you don't know that, Mom. She said, yeah, there's, there's always tomorrow, Abby. And Abby said, you don't know that. Jesus may come back. And she's right. Now, those of you who have a shopping addiction, don't use that, you know. Watch out, you know. Jesus may come back. Got to spend my money. But we should live every single day as if today's the day. Because today could be the day. And wouldn't it be great if it was today? How do you overcome this, letting your guard down before he returns? Uh, well, three things. Number one, be yourself. I mean the new one, not the old one. Be yourself. In verse 29, he says, um, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You're no longer your old self. If you're a believer, you have been born of him. If the habit, the pattern of your life is practicing righteousness, you're acting like your father. But if the pattern of your life is lawlessness and sin, then you're also acting like your father, the devil. So be yourself. Be 
who you are in Christ. Secondly, how do you overcome this? Think about how he has loved us. It's a great one. We ought to meditate on the fact that he has loved us. That when we were unlovable, when we were rebellious, he loved us. It's what he says there in verse 1 of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. We were once outcasts. We were not part of the covenant nation. Now we've been brought into the family of God. Look how he's loved us. If you wake up every day and say, God, help me to see how much you've loved me today, it will help you live as if he's coming back, and it will help you long for his coming back. And lastly, how do you overcome letting your, uh, letting your guard down before he returns? You hope for that day by abiding in him. In verses uh, 2 through 6 in chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, sin is lawlessness, You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So don't abide in sin. Abide in him. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means that you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It means that you do what it takes to get into your Bible. You spend time there. That you pray with Him. That you talk with Him. That you strive to obey what you find in Scripture. That you say, my life is nothing anymore. My life is gone. The only life I have is the life that is Christ. And you abide in Him. John here wants them to see that they have some things to watch out for. The Antichrist... They have to look out for deception, and they have to watch out for letting their guard down too early. And I would tell you the same thing. We must also be on guard. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for tonight. God, for those who are in this room and for those who could not be with us tonight. Lord, I pray here at this church, here at Abner Creek, God, that you would indeed um, protect us. As you prayed, Jesus, in uh, what's referred to as the high priestly prayer, that you would keep us from the evil one. You would keep us from the Antichrist. That you would not take us out of the world, but God, that you would be with us in the world. God, I pray that we, you would show us how to love one another. God, that we would lay down our very lives for one another. We thank you that you have loved us. And God, we want nothing more than for our lives to count for your kingdom. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're, uh, it's, it's our night for our monthly business meeting.
And uh, I didn't forget this month. I've had a pattern of forgetting, right, Mary? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I didn't forget this month. John, uh, is John, John I know is here, but is he in the room? John Curran. He's probably thinking that I shouldn't be through this early. Um, would somebody do me a favor and run, Kevin, if you will, if you'll run and just tell them that we're ready for church conference.